This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest on the show today is Steve Palmer. Steve is an absolute titan in the food and beverage industry. He's based in one of the most food-worthy cities in the country, Charleston, South Carolina, where he's the founder and partner of the Indigo Road Restaurant Group. Steve and his group are behind some of the most established restaurants in the country, cities like Charleston, Atlanta, Charlotte, Nashville, D.C. Steve's been nominated for the James Beard Outstanding Restaurateur Award three back-to-back years, and his restaurants have won awards like Top 100 in the U.S., Best Chef, Best Steakhouse, Best Sushi Restaurant, all while being recognized in every major news source and periodical. And while Steve's success in the food and beverage industry is alongside some of the greatest restaurateurs and chefs in the world, his pride and joy is his nonprofit called Ben's Friends. Steve is one of a kind, and we are honored to have him on. Let's go to Steve Palmer. Steve, welcome to Champagne Problems. Glad to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. We are uh, glad to have you here. We've been excited to speak with you for a while now. You know, we started this podcast probably... I guess a little under a year ago, and right away people started reaching out asking if we were in touch with Steve Palmer. Do we know who Steve Palmer is? Wow, wow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We do have some mutual friends. Shout out to Mary Margaret Banner who made the introduction. I think a good place to start, or selfishly where I would love to start, is, is really with your book, and I think that can also be in combination with you know, your, the, the contents of the book and, and your journey to where you are now. Sure, you know, a buddy of mine who lives in Charleston sent me your book a while back and said, man, you got to read this thing. And, you know, I think I even told you I've been in recovery for 16 years now. And, and you know, I've heard lots of stories, lots of war stories, uh, you know, the, the trenches. And I read your book and it was it was nuts, man. It floored me. Just the way it was written, but also your journey and your story. It was it was sad. It was scary. It was gripping. It was frustrating. And, and of course, it was wonderful as well. So let's start there, if you don't mind just giving us kind of a, a, a rundown. Sure. Who, who is Steve Palmer? <laughs> so I was, um, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. I ended up in Charleston, uh, and I found the restaurant business. It was the first place, I think, that I ever felt accepted. You know, I felt like I'm home. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I had really great mentors. And the thing that I've always loved about the restaurant business, and I I say this, I will say this for the rest of my life, is that everybody's welcome. It doesn't matter if you have money, don't have money, grew up where you grew up, went to college, didn't go to college. What I love about hospitality is like, as long as you're willing to work hard and be a part of a team, then there's a place for you in a restaurant. And, and that for me, you know, at, at 19, 20, 21, I mean, I, I was so broken, um, had been homeless, had, had IV drug user, I mean, just really a mess. And so even in that sort of state to find this place where I was accepted, I was loved, I felt safe, um, there was no judgment for better or worse, right? I mean, because there was all of the bad behavior going on in restaurants, but I felt like these are my people. This is my tribe. And that was really the first time for me. So so that was a pretty profound 
um, you know, all of the partying and all of that. And, and, and the downside of that acceptance was you can drink seven days a week and nobody, you, you're, you're with a bunch of people that are drinking seven days a week. I mean, it's, you know, as long as you show up on time, you do the job, nobody's really going to say anything. We weren't having mental health conversations in the early nineties about, you know, I mean, we weren't, um, the restaurant business was very much sort of like what you do until you're figuring out what you're going to do. It was like a, a, you know, a, a, a stop on the trolley ride, but I fell in love with wine. I became an advanced level SOM. And despite my addiction, my career like really started to take off. And I was, I was working, with great chefs and, and, and great companies and, and open some really great restaurants that are still around. Um, but, but the addiction was always there. I had been thrown in a couple rehabs, but was never, wasn't ready. What, you know, wasn't ready, wasn't ready. At this point I had a pretty successful career. So that gave my addiction just another excuse of like, I'm fine. I'm, I, you know, everything's fine. I was running a restaurant in Charleston. Uh, this was uh, 2001, where um, I walked into work one day, and the owner of the restaurant said, "Well, you have a choice today: you can go to rehab or you can clean out your desk." But I was broken, and I knew I was broken. Uh, my wife had just left me. Um, it, you know, I was broken. Um, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So even being presented the opportunity to go to rehab, I was like, I'm an advanced level sommelier. I buy wine for a living. How is this going to work? I mean, the rest, nobody (laughs) stays sober in the restaurant business. Um, I mean, nobody, I didn't know anybody, but I, I said, okay, I'll go. And they were smart enough that it was like, there's a bed waiting for you. You need to go home and pack right now, you know? Nice. And, and they knew, they knew that if I had even 24 hours to think about it, yeah. I probably would have talked myself out. Uh, you know, I would have walked myself out of it, but I went, I went to rehab and I wasn't really sure it was going to work. And so, you know, began the process of getting sober. It was lonely because People in the recovery community were like, you got to get out of the restaurant business. Woof. Ooh. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to stay sober, like you, you got to get out of there. People in the restaurant business that I'd known for years, they weren't unkind. They just didn't know what to say. You know, it was like suddenly there was this light being shown on one of their drinking buddies. Woo. He's got a problem. And they, of course, were like, well, how where does that leave me? Because I was out with him. Um, so it was very uncomfortable. I would I would go to work. And yet, and yet, I still loved the restaurant business. Like, I still, that love for hospitality, if anything, sobriety has multiplied that a hundredfold. But I didn't know that at the time. And, and so I, like, for a couple years, I was like, would, I, I would go to a, a 12-step meeting during the day, work in the restaurant at night, and go home. And I just, I did that on my days off, I would go to more meetings and I would sit in movie theaters, you know, like I, I didn't, it was pretty lonely the first couple of years. I I knew that I didn't want to drink again, but I, I just was like, where do I fit in, in this world? You know, it's, uh, it was, it, it, that didn't change for a while, but, but, and and I don't say that from a place of self-pity, it's more just kind of like the state of the end of the restaurant industry at that point, nobody was 
ugly or, you know, but it was just, there just wasn't a conversation about mental health. We weren't doing podcasts, right? I mean, we weren't, yeah. we weren't talking like we are now. Right. And then flash forward, and I hope I'm answering your question the way that you wanted me to. I feel like I'm Absolutely. being super long-winded, but... Uh, no, you're good. <laughs> great. I have a buddy, Mickey Baxton. He's my one of my favorite people in the world. I call him my bubby, and um, but we would go to breakfast every Saturday morning. He worked at another, uh, he worked at another restaurant, and he was sober. He moved to town at about when I was about five years sober, and and we became. He's sober now, almost forty years, um, and we became friends. And we would go to breakfast every Saturday morning at nine, and just. Just, just to connect. And we started saying things like, man, we really want to do something to give back to the industry. There's got to be something we can do. And what is that? And we were like, well, we should start a 12-step meeting late at night after work. And then we came back the next Saturday and we're like, we're both way too busy for that. And kind of put that on a shelf. And then in 2016, I was opening a restaurant in Florence, South Carolina called Town Hall, uh, and we were running short on staff, which we're all, I mean, <laughs> we say that every other hour now, but we didn't have enough chefs, and a mutual friend of mine had reconnected me with a guy named Ben Murray, and I had opened a restaurant in Atlanta called Canoe with Ben in the 90s. Ben and I had partied together, done a lot of drugs together. Ben was as happy a go-lucky a person as you would ever meet. He had the lampshade on his head at the Christmas party. He was a blues guitar player. Ben was funny. The words depressed and Ben, you would never have connected those words. So Ben walked in the door to help open this restaurant. And uh, he said, hey, Steve. I said, hey, Ben. And he said, I've cleaned up my act. And, you know, in our industry, that could mean I'm no longer doing coke off a stripper's butt. I mean, like... There's a pretty wide range in, in you know, in the yeah, restaurant yeah. business. Cleaned up my act can mean a whole, a whole lot of things. I'm not right, calling right, out right. Like I show up shifts. every day, you yeah. know. I'm, I'm not smoking yeah. crack anymore, but I'm still doing heroin. I mean, you know, I mean, at, it, yeah, at, at work. work, it can mean a lot of things. Um, and so I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, cool, Ben. I mean, listen. I mean, I, I don't, just because I'm sober, I'm not walking around value judging everybody as whether they have a problem or not. You know, it's not, a, I'm not on a moral crusade. And so I never, for six weeks, I never saw Ben take a drink. We, it's an opening, you know, you're working 18 hours a day. Ben was there, he had a smile. And then one day Ben didn't show up for work and I went to his hotel room and Ben, I didn't know which room was his, so I was texting, and he wouldn't, I didn't know where he was, um, and, and sadly, Ben shot himself in that hotel room, and, uh, and he died, and I remember when I called his 80-year-old mother, like, he had, the story kind of started to unfold, he had been in detox six times, he had, he wouldn't go to those meetings, he, you know, like, Ben had issues and I, I never saw it. And, and the really sad thing for me, like that opening night, there was myself and three other sober people working in the kitchen that if Ben would have just said, man, I'm struggling. How are you guys managing to stay sober? We would have done anything in the world to help Ben. Yeah. But so, you know, Ben, Ben took his life and, uh, 
Mickey and I reconnected and we were like, we have to do something. We have to do something. And um, we said, let's just start a meeting. And, and we didn't want to affiliate with any other organizations, although we're a part of other organizations. We just wanted, we, we felt like we needed to be a public group, not an anonymous group. Um, because of the industry, like because of the, the, the stigma and, the, and just everything that was going on in our industry, we felt like we needed to be out, visible, doing podcasts, doing interviews, talking about, and we would call it Ben's Friends. And it was a, a weekly support group for people in the industry seeking sobriety run by people in the industry seeking sobriety. And, you know, it kind of like we started it, the local paper ran a little piece. Then about nine months later, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide. And I mean, y'all, it was like overnight. The New York Times called, hey, what's this Ben's Friends thing? The LA Times called. And then what would happen is the LA Times would write an article on Ben's Friends and a chef on the West Coast was like, well, I'm sober. I want to start a Ben's Friends. And, and it was just like city after city after city. And we went from like one to 14 cities almost overnight. Holy cow. It was crazy, man. And, and that was when the book, that's when I, I talked to Forbes. Um, we had won as a business, the Indigo Road Hospitality Group, we had won the Forbes Small Giant Award, which is a you know, a, a, it's a business award given out to small companies doing big things. And we had won, we had won the small giants award. I had never really like, I'm not, I always say like, I'm not an author. I'm not a, you know, but this idea of publishing this book and, and I said, you know, I'll do it. Uh, I'm going to give whatever proceeds they are to Ben's friends to help grow the, grow the thing and um so all of this happened it felt like overnight and suddenly now we're flying around the country and we're opening new cities and and everybody wants to talk about ben's friends then the book comes out it went to number one on amazon immediately um and and it was just this this crazy like to watch our industry go from celebrating the bad boy chef with the tattoos and the bourbon collection and the they're you know to like hey these people are dying and and it's not funny yeah. and it's not cool and and they're they're literally dying and you know obviously the opioid crisis is you know perfect storm has come right into this conversation um and then this is the last thing i'll say so we can get to more of a conversation so so then covid hit Right. We had all this momentum and then COVID hit and it was like, crap, now what? Isolation is the enemy of sobriety. I mean, I mean, if you're in early sobriety, you need to be around people because um, most yep. of us would say the end of our drinking and drugging, we were alone. Right. A lot of us, like for me, like I would score the cocaine and then I would go home because I didn't want people to, you know, <laughs> later you're, you're yeah, in good yeah like because yeah. i didn't want everybody to know how <laughs> fucked up i was right i mean <laughs> no. and the craziest thing has happened over the last two years in zoom so we now have 21 meetings a week on zoom for ben's friends ben's friends wow. people like from london started dialing in people from canada like people that had never physically been to a ben's friends meeting are not now dialing in because they're sitting at home by themselves. 
you know, that's a 50,000 foot, very long winded answer to who is Steve Palmer. I mean, I'm a a restaurateur. I've I've been given the privilege. Uh, We have 24 restaurants, um, one hotel across the Southeast. I have been given the privilege of leadership, um, the privilege to lead other people, uh, the privilege to hopefully um, positively impact our society and our communities that our restaurants are in. I celebrated 20 years of sobriety in November. I am not cured, and I know that I am one drink away from (laughs) losing everything I have. Never lost that, And, and interestingly enough, in later sobriety, I've probably thought about drinking more than in early sobriety because, you know, you're doing life. You're not going to meetings every single doing day. Good. You're not doing service work. You're doing life. And uh, my, yeah. one of my mentor says, sometimes the hardest thing in sobriety is when everything goes your way. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's when you get <laughs> no everything question. you ask for. Um, that can be hard. So <laughs> Now would be a yeah. good time to... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, and I've I've gotten married in the last two and a half years. I'm a stepdad, which I never wanted kids. And I've got this fired up little 11 year old girl who just thinks (laughs) I've hung the moon for better or worse. And uh, so, yeah, man, my life is full. Um, My life has exceeded my expectations by a factor of a million. and all it took was me putting the bottle down, but that was the, the almost the impossible thing to do. Man, man, yeah, dude, my mind is going a million miles oh, a minute. Sorry, that was a lot. I've identified in so many different ways with a lot of the stuff that you said. I'm in recovery too, and I grew up in the restaurant business. My family's owned a restaurant and and wine shop here in Charlotte for this year's their fiftieth oh, wow. year. And yeah, and I've I've known about you for a while, and I've, I've kind of watched Ben's friends grow over the last several years. And my, it, it it's crazy because like I, I got to see I've seen both sides of of the restaurant industry and and how recovery has has kind of grown in in that culture. Um, my first spot because all I saw in the beginning was you know alcohol use and drug use in in the restaurant and I grew up in that environment in that party environment and kind of was like indoctrinated into it and then when I got into recovery the first time my first sponsor was actually an executive chef here in town and the group that we would go to um together was a late night meeting it, you know sometimes it was 10 sometimes it was midnight and everybody in there was in was in the restaurant industry and i've stayed in touch with a lot of those people over the years and some of them are now you know involved with ben's friends and um i just wanted to thank you man for for you know taking your story and being vulnerable and and kind of taking a leadership role and responsibility for for doing something in the industry and um, and kind of manning that ship, man, it's uh, extremely admirable. And uh, I, I just uh, it, it just blows me away when when you know people have a platform um, and they take responsibility for something that they see as needed to the extent that you did. It's, I feel like it's the least I can do, right? I mean, I, I truly like when I say the restaurant business has given me everything. I literally mean like everything, yeah. like how to dress the roof over yeah. my head, like, you know, uh, how to speak to people. I mean, I, I, it's given me everything. So, I mean, I'm, you know, my hope 
when you find that kind of purpose, it, there's nothing that touches it. Like we're going to keep opening restaurants and all that. And that's all great. But man, watching somebody celebrate a year of sobriety and Ben's friends, when you saw them come in on day one, there's nothing yep. that will ever touch that. And nothing so, better. you know, I'm a very small part of Ben's friends. Uh, it's man, there's so many people now that are carrying the torch. Uh, but thank you for that. Thank you. So this is one question that I was thinking about, you know, this week before we came on and then it just resurfaced as, as you were talking, what do you think it is about the restaurant industry that either attracts people that are kind of prone to addiction? Um, or, or is it something that you feel like the restaurant industry like kind of contributes to with people? Um, what, what is it? Like, what, what do you feel like it is that, that kind of fans that flame. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure you guys get asked that too. First off, I always say the restaurant business did not make me an alcoholic, right? I get that question from people who are a little little farther removed from the subject. Um, I, I have a disease, right? And, and it, that disease was not born in the restaurant business. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's a factor of a couple things, right? We're we are uh, you know we we're adrenaline junkies, addicts, right? And there's a bunch of adrenaline yeah. in a restaurant, a busy ass restaurant on a Saturday night. Mm-hmm. There's tons of adrenaline, yeah. man. I loved it. You know, I love being a waiter, and getting three tables all at once, and now I'm running, and you know, and that. <laughs> <laughs> and you blow out of the restaurant and you're on this high and you're like, okay, I got to come down or I got to stay up. I think that it um, has been a, a playground, that acceptance that I talked about earlier, um, I think ble- yeah. bled, bleeds uh, less so into acceptance of any bad behavior. Um, also, you know, you got to remember... It, we work at night, right? We get off at 11 o'clock at night when everybody else gets off at five in the <laughs> afternoon. Nothing good happens after midnight, right? I mean, just no- nothing, <laughs> right? And so I think there's a bunch of factors. I, I'm, I mean, again, and I, I, I want to keep saying this because I'm, I'm, I want to be a cheerleader. I think that's starting to change. Um, and I think that yeah. we're yeah. waking up as an industry um, you know, I know in our restaurants, like simple things, we don't do shift drinks anymore at all. And, and again, not on a crusade, um, you want, whatever you want to do outside our four walls, party on and, and we're, we'll see you tomorrow. But we, we are very intentionally trying to make our industry more, a more professional place for people to work. Um, and that starts with everybody not being fucked up at work, right? Yeah, and a safer place, too. It starts with offering mental health counseling for free to anybody in our restaurant group that needs to go talk to somebody. It, it you know, Man, it, it starts awesome. with those kinds of things. But I, I think the industry, it's, it's like the land of deregulation for so long, right? I mean, you could smoke a joint in the walk-in, do a shot with the bartender, and keep going. And so I don't think the industry... <laughs> makes people an alcoholic but if you're an alcoholic it's a damn good place to hang your hat if you don't want to look at your if you don't want to look at your issues right i just love the fact that the title of your book is how the restaurant industry saved your life because i do think the public opinion a public image is is kind of the opposite it's probably 
you know, the restaurant industry potentially right. almost killed you, but you're saying it saved your life. That is, I, I mean, that just speaks to, to the value in your book and uh, personally. Before I came, had come up with Say Grace, I had always said, I want the subtitle to be How the Restaurant Industry Saved My Life. And, and yeah. for the very reason you just said, man, we've taken a lot of hits as an industry in the last five years, right? The Bacali and yeah. John Bash, I mean, all that terrible, terrible stuff around me too, which needed to happen and thank God it happened. Um, you know, equality, uh, fair pay. I mean, there's a, a lot of the sins of the restaurant business have been exposed, which the good thing is, it's allowing us to course correct and to become the industry that we should have always been. But I feel like, you know, especially in this clickbait world we live in, where the media would much rather write a negative story about the restaurant business than a positive one. Even during COVID, I've been blown away at the amount of negative press that, that, that has just perpetuated. And it's like, no wonder we have a staffing issue it looks like a terrible industry and man, the <laughs> right. best people on the planet are restaurant people. You will not find people mm -hmm. that are more loyal re relationships that run deeper, you know, a more charitable. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Think about in any city, think about all the charity events that happen every year. And what's the common denominator? Chefs are there cooking. Yep. And, and we don't, you don't, you don't, you know, it's like, but why aren't we talking about that? And so, I mean, right. I love this industry so much, man. And it, there's just such good people in the industry. Um, so I really, that's, so I'm glad you noticed that because it was very intent from the beginning. I was like, whatever I call the book, the subtitle is going to be how the restaurant business saved my life. Because I believe without, I, I, I believe it as much as I believe my name's Steve, I'd be dead if it weren't for restaurant people. I know that. I would be dead. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Because, you know, people people say things like, everybody needs to work in the restaurant industry at some point in their lives. And and, and I think that when people say that, it's not because it's a great place to work. <laughs> it's because it's fucking right. tough. It's a it's tough, tough gig. gig. It is a super tough gig. It takes a special yep. breed. You know, you said in your in your story you as soon as you walked in you're like i'm home, I'm home. this is where you i know, always wanted is, to be 35 I years be. later i've never once thought i want to leave the industry not one time it's yeah. beautiful to hear uh because we I, you know like patrick said we know people in the industry and we know it's not all shit and and yeah i mean it's a party atmosphere but shit there's party atmosphere right. everywhere it's it's that's not what should define it do you still practice like you're you're someone yeah trade like I've always kind of wondered that because I, I you know it's at, at, at a point in my recovery I was leaning towards going back into the family business and getting back into the restaurant and wine side of things and you know things have changed over the last several years but I've always I've always wondered how like a like a psalm could be <laughs> could be sober I mean do you still taste wine and and spit it out like is that like a are, are there people that do that in the industry? I've always kind of, it's, it's always been a you wonderful. You um, it's interesting. We have, there's a member of Ben's Friends in Portland. She's a winemaker and she's seven years yeah. sober and still making wine. Um, I do not think tasting wine and spitting it out is a good, I think that is like, <laughs> good idea. Yeah. that is like getting as close to the damn flame as you, I mean like, um, yeah. 
that's not for me. And if a friend of mine in recovery was doing that, I would, I would, again, not from a place of judgment, but be like, are you sure that's a good idea? (laughs) You know, I'm not as close to wine as I, you know, the first five years of sobriety, I was still writing a wine list, still table side recommending it. You know, I, I mean, we, we have wine directors and lots of people smarter than me now and the industry is i mean the wine world has changed so much but i mean i've been to napa valley sober i've walked vineyards hung out with winemakers and you know that's not for everybody right i mean because you you guys know some people get sober and all their friends are sober the only activities they do are sober active and i respect that because some people like that's just where they need to be um, I got out of rehab and like went back to running a $5 million restaurant and, and it scared the shit out of me and it was hard. And, um, but, but I still love the subject of wine and, and I, I still think it's pretty cool. And, um, we have a, a wine director who I've been friends with for 24, she's over 24 restaurants. We've been friends for a decade and I still keep my finger on what's going on in the industry. Um, I still feel like I could step out on the floor and recommend a great bottle of wine, but spitting and all yeah. of that thing, that's not me, man. <laughs> I mean, I kind of knew that if there was one out there that was doing it, it's kind of an yeah. anomaly, but well, it's kind of like, a, it's it's just, like I'm a, just thinking out loud. I've always wondered what somebody, you know, that oh, it's, has that expertise does when they get so, you know, it's kind of like a sober bartender. You know, they're, they're, they're they out. are, they are. Yeah, I know, I know a bunch of them and, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, God bless them. Could you compare and kind of contrast what your success looked like prior to recovery? Yeah. I mean, I was a GM of a restaurant, my last gig before getting sober, uh, you know, we were doing $5 million a year. I was not an owner. And it was, you know, I think on the outside it looked pretty, but man, I was dying on the, I was struggling. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm that guy, I'm the old school guy, no matter what you show up. So, I mean, there were times I would roll in with no sleep, um, still up from the night before, but I showed up and that was just one of those cardinal sins in our business. You don't know show, no call, no matter what. And, uh, I mean, I might've been having a vodka at home 15 minutes before I came in. Um, but I was there, uh, you know, no doubt. I mean, we're, (laughs) we're a company now that I'm, that I founded of 24 restaurants and three hotels and there's 1200 employees. And I say this all the time to employees and sometimes I'm like, maybe I shouldn't say that, but I always say like, if I hadn't gotten sober, there would be no Indigo Road. I mean, it would have never happened, right? The whole thing would have never happened. I'd be dead. Um, and that's yeah, pretty yeah. crazy, you know? <laughs> and and not that it's, mm-hmm. not that sobriety is all about like opening yeah. a bunch of businesses because everybody's got their path, right? But I got sober to have more of a life, yeah. Yeah. not to have less of a life. And, you know, because of a, a, the spiritual life that I lead, I believe that you can manifest just about anything you want for your life. I think that we're all the authors of our own story. And, and you know, unfortunately, when you've got something like addiction standing in the way, that's just going to limit everything, right? I mean, it just is. It's going to kill you, period. Or you're going to get sober. There's only two, there's only two outcomes, 
And I, I just, man, I mean, I, some, and, I, and I mean this like I'm about to say something that might sound grandiose and hubris, and I don't. My own life blows my mind. <laughs> like, like I literally have these moments where I'm just overwhelmed with <laughs> why, why did, why am I the guy? Why, 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 why is that guy dead? Yeah, that guy is unemployable, fifty-year-old bartender that's been fired from the last ten jobs, and I got to do this. Um, and, and, it, and it's overwhelming and I don't, you know, there've been times in the 12 step rooms that I've heard, well, I've earned my seat, man. I didn't earn shit. I went out and blew my life up like as hard as I could <laughs> and I got grace and that's where say grace came from. Um, yeah. also because, you know, in the South, when we sit down to dinner, say we say grace, I don't know why I got the gift. I've just, it blows my, I mean. My story blows my mind, and, I, and it's weird sometimes when you're in it to like. And there's a lot of pressure, and you know, I have sober Philip Spears, who's yeah. a, a Ben's friend's chair in Austin, who owns Com Commodore. Uh, he's a restaurateur. He looks at me, he's like, I, I don't want 24 restaurants. You're an mm. idiot. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it's about perspective, right? I mean, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the cool thing about sobriety is that you get to choose. You get to choose what life looks like. And when you're in active addiction, there are no choices except the finding and getting and, and conniving and thinking and planning for the next buzz and how am I going to hide it from the wife? You know, I mean, it's you guys know. Yeah. It's all the bullshit that you're not living. No. You're existing in this vicious cycle. Yeah. Well, like I said, I read your book and I... I have the same question. How the hell did he do that? <laughs> right? <laughs> I keep like thinking like somebody's going to knock on the door someday. Go, okay. Welcome to the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. yeah exa exactly. Like, okay. And cut. Yeah. All, right. All right. Back to the gutter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back to the gutter. You Just kidding. Yeah. Have a drink, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Because it's over. <laughs> Imposter syndrome is real, right? Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. I got married two years ago and I said to my wife, I said, you know, if I ever drink again, you need to run and you need to, you need to. And she was like, really? And I said, listen to me, if I ever drink again, you need to get out of the way. And so I think we all in recovery, if, if we live with that, right? Yeah. Like it's fragile. I mean, it's not something to live in your life in fear of because We've been placed in a position of neutrality, but but like we all have the capability of drinking again. Yeah. That is mm -hmm. real. Yes. Uh, and the longer you stay sober, I feel like the more real it becomes. Like when I hear people that are like, oh, he had 16 years and he relapsed. At one or two years, I, that would have blown me away. At 20 years, I totally understand it. Yeah, yeah. 100% yeah, yeah, understand why somebody that has had a bunch of great things happen to them can go yeah why not yeah, yeah. you know why i get it yeah i get i'll it. stop it before it gets bad that's yeah what, that's I, what I, tell I mean all the happy horse shit and and you know yeah. i i smoke too many cigars i like sugar you know i mean it's, it's <laughs> fucking endless yep i had a men, i had a mentor uh coming out of grad school that had you know 28 years or something like that and she and i used to run groups 
And these kids and these, you know, people, newbies or whatever would just constantly like, you have 28 years. Do you, do you really not think that you could, you could drink? Like you, why, why wouldn't you give it a shot? And that was just kind of their, their ignorance question. But she, her answer every time was, you know, honestly, I do. I do think I could probably have a glass of wine and be successful at it. Am I going to try? Fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, just hard no. Right. Hard no. Right. See, I don't think I could be like I don't. Me neither. And I'm not, that was I'm her not, answer, not mine. I'm not judging. Like I, you know, we all have our own. But like, I know the way my mind works. I would have a drink and then I would go, "Well, I've screwed up now." Yeah. Yep. I would buy a pound of cocaine. Go off the rails. And I would lock myself in a hotel room. So like, it would just be yeah, bad. Just there would not straight be straight back to where I was. Yeah. I mean, like. Yeah. Oh. I'm with you. I'm with you yeah. there. We always ask our guests this at the end of every episode. If you could talk to anybody out there, any of our listeners that are, you know, talking about or thinking about giving up drinking um, or battling with it, what would you say are the three things that they could look forward to getting better after putting down the drink? Wow. So I was in rehab uh, 20 years ago at this place called the Pavilion up near Asheville, which I highly recommend, by the way. Yeah, we love Pavilion. I'm not affiliated with it at all, but I, I totally recommend it. But uh, the counselor, John, who's still there, yeah. uh, he's, he, we, we were sitting there and he said, what do you want out of life? And I was like, you know, five days sober, right? Busted, <laughs> broken. I just, I just want to sleep, you know, dude. Can we end this miserable, group? <laughs> dry, and just like, frack. Um, and I said, uh, I said, I want inner peace. That's all I said. Just want to stop hating my life. And everybody kind of wrote their shit down. And then he was like, the, new, the good news is you've all undersold yourself. And I think about that all the time because to answer your question more directly... I mean, it's hard to pick three. Um, the richness of a single day gets better. Um, the, there are moments of overwhelming gratitude, like stop me dead in my tracks, bring me to tears. It can be a sunset in the low country. It can be watching a new dad with his little kid in the park. It can be watching a restaurant have a perfect service um it can be a simple act of kindness and you see that stuff now <laughs> and 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 you see it with such an appreciation it's it's that syndrome of i was on the titanic and i survived <laughs> right that yeah. feeling of oh my god i made it out of that alive um your personal relationships like the ability to look at yourself Nothing will challenge you more than getting married, right? <laughs> right? And I mean that from a, like, loving someone and then attempting to allow them to love you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's my story because I don't I still struggle with feeling worthy of being loved. Mm -hmm. But that will put a mirror up to your shit in a way that, in, you know, in life. And it's like, okay, I need to go to therapy. <laughs> Things will get better in ways that you can't possibly imagine. I'm a satisfied customer, man. If I thought drinking was the better way, I would go do it. Yeah. 
Hell yeah. uh, and, and I got sober to have more of a life, not less of a life. And I say that to people all the time, because when you're at the end of your drinking and you both have been there, all you're thinking about is what you're going to have to give up. Yeah. I'm yep. going to not, what about my friends? How am I going to socialize? What, you know, like yep. your mind. And again, that, by the way, that's your disease yeah. <laughs> uh, lying to you, but your, your head is so in that fear based place of like, what will my life be if I don't have alcohol? Yeah. That uncertainty. And what's crazy is your life is going to be like a million things more than that. Once you just step through the door, put the bottle down. But it's hard to say that to somebody in a way that they can see it and feel it because they're just clouded. And, and you know, like everything's going to get better. I couldn't possibly pick three things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything is going to get better. And, and you know, my, I, get, I get those, not as much anymore, but like the first five, ten years, I would get those 7 a.m. calls from my old drinking buddies, hungover, still up, whatever. Well, what do you do? Like, what do you do when you don't drink? And I always say the same thing. Do I look bored? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, no, you look like you're having a great time. I'm like, there you go. When you're, when you're in that, you can't. It's, uh, man, we both, you, you know where I'm talking yeah. about. That you, yeah. can't fathom it. You, can't, yeah. you can't fathom it. You can't imagine your life with or without alcohol. Yeah. You know, that incomprehensible demoralization. Ugh. Ugh. My last question is perhaps a little silly, but I would love to know your best mocktail recipe. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. I know I dig that because I, I drink a lot of them. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned Oku. So I love Asian food. It's Japanese food specifically. Me too. Um, I'm taking my wife to Japan next month for the first. She's never been. So oh, I'm nice. super excited. Um, so I, it's something with ginger in it. Yes. Something with lime. So a, a Moscow mule with no booze. That's yeah. kind of like my, if, if like, it doesn't look like there's a great spirit free dr drink list. I'm like, I'll just have a Moscow mule with it. The Gramercy Tavern in New York. Oh. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants in America. I got engaged there. Michael Anthony is a good friend. They do something called the ginger swizzle, which is like a mojito with ginger with no booze. And it is awesome. So yeah, anything with ginger in it and, and citrus has my vote. I love it. Maybe a little, yeah. maybe a little yuzu. Yuzu. I mean, right. You got, yeah. you got the, we've Trend, got some trending right now. Yuzu. yuzu is trending. Oh, no. Man, I we we really appreciate you being here, man. I just wanted sure. to you know share my gratitude again for everything you've done for the industry and and for people in recovery and for using your platform and your success to share your journey with everybody. And uh, I'm going to well, Oku. You, I'm going friend. to Oku tomorrow night for dinner. I appreciate your your <laughs> yes your restaurateurship as well as your recovery. Well, thank and, you. And thanks for being here with us today, man, and, and sharing your it's time my with pleasure. us. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for the privilege. Thank you, Steve. We really appreciate it. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. 
For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit DilworthCenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.